things were progressing well and, and they wanted all the details to be just right and everything went perfectly. It was, uh, was going just as they planned, I think, and everything went beautifully until the reception. And uh, during the reception, there was a crisis in that uh, they ran out of wine. And fortunately, they had uh, invited some pretty famous and important people. And one of the guest's mothers went to her son and said, uh, there's a problem here and you, need, you really should do something about it. And she told them, uh, do whatever he says. And so he told them to fill some uh, jars with water and they did. And he changed that water into wine. And it became his, known as his first miracle. But really, the greatest miracle that happened that day wasn't water turning into wine. It was the miracle of that marriage and how two people became one. And how God, in his uh, amazing ability to join lives together, brought a man and a woman together into a marriage. And they went from that moment not being two individuals, but being uh, knitted together in life in a way that, that is mystical. And, and it's hard for us to understand. And, and even those of us who have been married for a long time, sometimes we kind of puzzle over, well, what is marriage? And if you were going to define marriage and, and say what it is, uh, how would you define it? What would you compare marriage to? Um, what, um, what would you say it's like? Uh, it's a mystery. It's a miracle. Um, you think about marriage. It's, it's amazing that God created men and he created women, and, and, and then it, we're, we're so different, and yet we're so similar, and, and, and it's just kind of a puzzle how it all works. And, and then we come together in marriage, and it's just amazing. Uh, an amazing experience. And so God said in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 and 32, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And in that famous and familiar passage from Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul goes back and forth, he's talking about marriage, and then he says, well, I'm talking about Christ and the church, and I'm really talking about marriage, I'm really talking about the Christ and the church, and, and he gives us uh, some tremendous imagery, some tremendous instruction about marriage, but also some tremendous imagery about what marriage really is and what it represents. Marriage is a great mystery. A man leaves his parents and is united with his, his wife. Um, those of you who are here this morning and you're a husband, you left your parents and your primary allegiance is now to your wife. And God expects you to have that as the primary relationship in your life. And your identity and who you were before marriage has now uh, morphed into who you are today as a husband in uh, a marriage relationship. God expects us as husbands to take leadership within the marriage relationship. He has designed marriage in a way that we as husbands are to uh, be leading out in the spiritual uh, events and the spiritual, in the spiritual life of our homes. And we do that, the book of Deuteronomy tells us, as we sit in our house, as we walk by the way, when we lie down and when we get up. And so it's not a, a responsibility that we sort of segment into uh, one portion of our life and we say, well, I take my family to church on Sunday morning and I make sure we get there and I, I make sure that that happens and we get involved in you know, other things and, and um, you know, I, I send my children to a Christian school and so I'm, I'm taking care of all those things and really I'm pretty busy with a lot of other things. 
But as we go through our lives, as we live with our families, we are responsible as husbands to be providing that spiritual leadership within the home. Part of that in our marriage is that we take the initiative in Bible reading and in prayer with our spouse, and that we, we are doing Bible reading and prayer together as a couple. Because if we are one, and if we are no longer two, but we're one, then God not only speaks to each of us individually, but he speaks to us together as a couple. And he does that through his word when we do Bible reading, and we converse with him through prayer. And I think that there's something very powerful about doing Bible reading and prayer together as a couple. Now, one of the things that I've learned in, or I am learning in, in marriage, uh, my wife and I celebrated our 40th uh, wedding anniversary in, in March, um, and yeah, we got married way too young, so that's uh, uh, it's okay, but we've been married 40 years, I don't know how that happened, but it did, and it doesn't seem like it was that long, but it is. And one of the things that I'm learning in 40 years of marriage is that I don't have to be the best at something in order to give leadership. Uh, as a matter of fact, a good leader knows how to use people's skills and abilities that he's teamed up with who are better than he is. And he doesn't have to be the best at everything. Somehow I came into marriage and, and like I said we got married way too young and I just thought you, um, um, you grow up, you get a driver's license, you go, graduate from high school and you start dating and then you get married and then you live happily ever after. That's just how it works, right? It's just uh, pretty simple. And, and so I had no clue uh, when I got married really what I signed up for. I, I just thought it was everything's going to be great. And I thought it was great. And um, so we were married a couple of years and um, we got our Reader's Digest and there was a little quiz in there to rate how happy you are in your marriage. And so I took the quiz and I, out of a scale of 1 to 10, I was like 9.5 or something. I was pretty close to the top. It was really going great. And then later I asked my wife if she took the quiz. And yeah, she did. And I said, so what did you get? And she was like a 5 or something. Like, 5? How can you be a 5? Like... That's not, we're doing way better than that. And, and then I discovered, uh, maybe we're not. And, uh, and so all of a sudden I realized, hey, there's some stuff here I better tune into. And if, if uh, I don't want a marriage that's a five out of 10, so we better change that. And how are we going to change that? And then I started to become aware of, uh, I better get with the program here. I, I signed up for something that's a lot bigger than what I thought it was. And, and, and this, is, uh, this is serious. And, and we really, I really need to dig in and, and make this work. So, in marriage, we, it's, it's, uh, it's a growing experience and something that we learn. And taking leadership is something that is uh, important. And in our marriage, um, and I uh, get a little embarrassed to talk about this, but it's, uh, it's true. Early in our marriage, um, I, I, I wanted, you know, knew I needed to be the spiritual leader. I wanted to do that. And it was easy for uh, Edith and I, to, for me to read scripture with Edith. I didn't have, that was no problem. I, I could do that and, and I felt really comfortable with that and that was okay. But I found it really difficult to pray with her and because when we prayed, uh, I was just praying, you know, and, I, and, and my prayers, and then she would pray and I'm like, wow, like what? I don't know how to pray like that. Um, that's way, I mean, that's beyond me. And so I felt intimidated. And so I didn't really want to pray with her because I feel kind of bad here. You know, she shows me up. And so, so there were years when, when we didn't pray together because I just, didn't, I just didn't want to do it. And eventually, 
I got to a place where God just kind of got a hold of me and said, listen, like you, you need to do that. Whether you want to or not, no matter how you feel about it, it's something that as a husband, you need to be doing. And so we started praying together and we pray together now. And I, I, I feel embarrassed that we didn't do that for, for a number of years early in our marriage, but it's an important part of connecting together spiritually and being a couple. And I just encourage you as husbands to take the initiative to read scripture with your wife, discuss what God is saying to you through scripture and what is God saying to your wife through scripture because God may bring his voice into your life through your wife. I heard someone say um, one time that God doesn't, he doesn't hear God's voice audibly very often, but when he does, it sounds suspiciously like the voice of his wife. And so sometimes that's the way it is. God speaks to us as men through our wives, and we need to listen to what God is saying to her. It's important that we know what God is saying to her. And then to pray together, to just join together in conversation with God and be able to, uh, to pray together. And I, I, um, as I told you the other night, I just think there's something powerful about praying with someone that knits our hearts together in a way that, that very little else uh, does. And so husbands, uh, pray with your wife and read scripture with her. Now, in this passage in Ephesians, Paul is saying marriage in verse 32, marriage is a great mystery. And he says, I speak concerning Christ and the church. And so he's saying, thank you. He's saying, really, and one of the significant things about marriage is that it represents Christ's relationship with the church. And so as we go about our lives, living our marriages and living out our marriages, we're really portraying to the world a, a picture, a portrait of what Christ's relationship with the church looks like. So many people are really confused about what Christ's relationship with the church really is like. But as we live out our marriages and our marriage relationships, people get a picture of, oh, that's how much Christ loves the church. So that's how Christ cares for the church. And as we as husbands go about our responsibilities as a husband, people get a picture of how Christ cares for the church. Now, in this passage in Ephesians chapter 5, it tells us that we as husbands are to uh, love our wives even as we, we love ourselves or as we love our own, our own, um, our own bodies. And so we're to love our, or we're to love our um, uh, verse 25, husbands, love your wives even as Christ has also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. So husbands, we're responsible to love our wives in the way that Christ loved the church. That's a pretty tall order uh, when you stop and think about it. If that's the standard of how I'm supposed to love my wife, then there's no limits to that. There's no boundaries to that. I can't say, uh, well, I, I really love my wife a lot. I do a lot of things for her, but, uh, you know, I don't do dishes. Or, you know, I, I, I do a lot of things, but I really I don't vacuum. Or I do a lot of things, but I won't do this, I won't do that. If we're going to love our wives the way that Christ loved the church, then that's, that's all, that demands all of our, our, our commitment to do that. Now, for most of us, we would say, well, yeah, I really do love my wife. Uh, I would 
I would, um, I would give my life for her. If she was threatened, I would, I would defend her. I, I, would, I would let somebody take my life before they hurt her. And kind of that heroic view of saying, yes, I love my wife and I'd give my life for her, uh, that's pretty easy to say because the chances of that happening are pretty slim. And so it's easy to say I'd do that if that was called for. However, taking out the garbage is a little, that gets a little more routine and that's a little harder to do. And really, I think when it comes down to saying, I will give my life for my wife means that I will make my strength and my energy available to her for the things that are important to her. And so giving my life up daily on a daily basis in order to please her and to make her life easier that really is sacrificial living. That's the kind of love that Christ has for the church daily. He provides for us what we need for each day. The picture could be the picture of the children of Israel in the wilderness. And day by day, God is providing manna for them and he's caring for them spiritually. That's what Christ does for us. Day by day, he provides for us what we need. We as husbands, when we talk about giving our lives for our wives, we need to daily be giving up some of our own desires and our own agenda and our own wishes in order to please the one that we love. When you really love someone, you want to please them. You want to do the things that, that make them happy. Now, there's a whole big difference between doing the right thing and doing it with passion and with feeling. And I just encourage you men, if you're going to be a husband and you're going to do the things that a husband ought to do, well, do it with feeling and do it with Emotion, get involved, get your heart involved in what you're doing. You know, we, there are too many men who kind of go through life in sort of an unfeeling, unemotional experience, and they do a lot of stuff, but they really aren't doing it with a lot of emotion and a lot of passion. They're just kind of going through the motions of life. My wife and I knew a couple one time that uh, the husband, uh, he, he kind of struggled to... Um, to connect with emotions and that kind of thing. And, and so um, they were, I don't know, they were having a, a, an argument about something and, and they went to bed and she kind of continued talking about what they were talking about. And, and he finally got to the place where he had had enough and he just jumped out of bed and he started shouting at her and she just laid in bed and started laughing. And, uh, and, she, and he got, then he got really upset and he's like, what are you, why are you laughing? And she said, well, finally, I'm seeing some emotion here, and it's so refreshing uh, to, to see you have some emotion. And, and, and then, you know, it kind of, they worked it out, and it all, it all worked out and turned out well. But sometimes we as men struggle with, with emotions. There's a story about the couple that went out for dinner, and they're sitting at the restaurant, and the wife says to the husband, um, Harry, how are you feeling? And he says, well, a little hungry for chicken. And sometimes, for us as men, that's about as deep as our feelings go. We... It's hard for us to, to know what we are feeling or even if we have feelings. But that's an area where we can learn from our wives because they so naturally understand what they're feeling and, and they live on an emotional, with an emotional awareness that we as men often don't live with. And it's good for us to, to connect with that because we do have feelings, we do have emotions, and for us to be able to learn to, yes, I am feeling something and this is what I'm feeling, and, I, and to learn to be able to put it into words is a skill that we can uh, develop and learn. You see, there's a big difference between doing the right thing and doing it with the right emotions and the right, the right feelings. So 
let's say that um, my wife and I, we had our 40th anniversary back in March, and so uh, right before our wedding anniversary, I think, well, uh, what would a good husband do on his anniversary? Well, I, well the first thing is I remember it. So uh, I decide, uh, all right, I'm going to remember it. And so the morning of our anniversary, I wake up, and I, before she remembers it's our anniversary, I say, happy anniversary, I love you, and, and so good to be married to you, and, and, um, and so that's great. I remember that, so I'm a good husband. And then uh, I think, well, what else would a good husband do on his anniversary? Well, he'd probably bring his husband some, or his wife some flowers, and so... I come home from work, I bring her a dozen roses, put them on the table, there, there are your flowers, I'm a good husband, uh, it's our anniversary, I brought you flowers, I remembered it, and then what else would a good husband do? Well, a good husband would, might take his wife out to dinner and say, all right, well, let's go out for dinner. So we go out for dinner, we have dinner, I take her to a nice restaurant, and, and we, we eat a good meal, we go home, and I, at the end of the day, I can say, you know, I really am a good husband. I did all the things that a good husband ought to do on his anniversary. I remembered it, I, I said something before she did, uh, I brought her flowers, uh, I took her out for dinner, I did all the things that a good, I, I am really a good husband. But I could do all that in just sort of a mechanical, um, I, I'm kind of a robotic husband here, doing all the things a good husband should do. There's a big difference between that and if I wake up in the morning of our anniversary and I just bounce out of bed, and even though I'm not a morning person, and say, hey, it's our anniversary, I'm so excited about being married to you, this is the greatest thing that ever happened to me. And we're, I just love you, and I'm so excited about being married to you. I'm so just looking forward to, I don't know, how many more years together. This is great, and I just love you, and our marriage is so exciting. And I come home from work with the flowers, and it's, here you go. I just love you. Here's flowers. And, I'm, and, and then we go out for dinner, and, and, we, you know, and I sit there, and I, I look in her eyes, and I answer her in complete sentences, and we have a real conversation. And, and then, you know, it's, just, it's a whole different story, right? Because I'm, I'm feeling what I, there's feeling behind what I'm doing. And what I'm saying to you as husbands is don't just go through the motions of being a husband and doing the stuff that husbands ought to do, but really get into being a husband. Be passionate about being a husband. Have the, 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 hearts, uh, the heartfelt feelings that go along with that. And uh, it just makes a, a world of difference. And then uh, this passage says that wives are to respect or submit to their husbands as... Uh, as the church does to Christ and be subject to, to their husbands. Verse 24, uh, therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be to their husbands, to their own husbands in everything. Wives, you are to respect your husbands as Christ, as the church respects Christ. Christ is the head of the body, the church, and your husband is your leader. He is, uh, he's, no, he's not there in kind of a domineering, you have to remember that Jesus said, in the kingdom of God, leadership works differently. The one who is the leader is actually the servant. And so um, this is when we think about, we get into trouble here sometimes with, uh, with this whole thing of submission because we kind of think of it as kind of a top-down, who dominates who or who calls the shots. And that's not, that's not the picture here. But somebody has to be in leadership. Somebody has to take the initiative and chart the course and, and give direction and guide and, and, and leadership. And that's the role of your husband. And then for you... To be a helper, to be a suitable helper. You see, in Genesis, when God created Eve, he created her as a help meet, as a suitable helper for Adam. God looked at men, at Adam as a man, and realized Adam needs help. And he created help for Adam. And you as wives are a suitable helper for your husband. 
And learning to be able to, uh, to be that help to him is an important role to fill because your husband is going to be far more successful with you as his supporter and as his encourager and as the one who helps him to be successful. You see, I, I, am, I serve as um, assistant pastor in the Believer's Fellowship Church in Sulukout. Now, my role as assistant pastor is to make our lead pastor the most successful pastor that he could ever possibly be. And so my role as assistant pastor isn't to criticize what he does wrong. It isn't to kind of change him and make him uh, do what I think he ought to do. My role there isn't to kind of uh, create a, a, um, a little group that is a, that's loyal to me and we kind of do our thing. And, but my role is to be helping Nate Hostetler, who's our lead pastor, to be a really great lead pastor. And to be able to look at his strengths and help him to excel in using his strengths, be able to look at his weaknesses and say, yes, there are some things that um, he's not strong in, and that's where I pitch in, and I help him to, to make sure that those things get done and that we are able to work together as a team, and between the two of us, we get things accomplished. And when it's all done, uh, uh, I don't need to be able to have people recognize you know what, Nate didn't do that, Merle did that. And if it wouldn't be for Merle, that probably wouldn't have got done. No, I need to just say, we, it, it got accomplished. It doesn't matter who did it. It doesn't matter who gets credit for it. We're going to be successful as a team. And if we're working together as a team, we're going to be far more successful than if we're kind of individually trying to be successful. And the same is true in a marriage relationship. Now, when we got married, my wife really was committed. She really wanted to be sure that she was a submissive wife. And so she really worked to be very diligently to be a submissive wife. Her uh, idea, her concept of submissiveness was that she shouldn't say anything and she should just be quiet and she should uh, not contradict me in any way or challenge me in any way, but that she should just follow my leadership and just be quiet. Well, that got pretty frustrating after a while because I didn't really know what she was thinking and I'm trying to lead, but, you know, I need, I need help. And so eventually we were able to work through some of that, and she realizes that submission doesn't mean she never says anything. Submission is that she says something, she expresses her view, and we talk about it, and we work it out, and we come to something that, that, uh, that works, and she actually has, if she, actually, you see, if she expresses her opinions to me, even when she disagrees with me, it shows more respect for me than if she doesn't say anything. Because if she doesn't say anything, it's kind of like, he probably won't listen to me anyway. He's just going to do what he's going to do, so I, I might as well not even say anything. However, if she voices her opinion and says what she has to say, what she's saying is, I think you care enough about me in this marriage relationship that you're going to listen to what I have to say, and my voice is going to be valued, and it shows more respect for me if she, if she voices her opinion. And so I just encourage you women to be helpful to your, your husband and to be able to express your, your opinions. You see, we as, we as men are, are, are pretty simple beings. Um, you know, we're not very complex. Uh, if you feed us and give us a little bit of praise, we actually do pretty good. Uh, and a compliment goes a long way. And, and so, you see, if you watch your husband and you see him doing something that you really want him to do, if you compliment him for that, he's probably going to repeat it because he really does want to be successful as a husband and he really does want to do what pleases you. And so when you tell him what pleases you, he's probably going to do it again. And so if you just 
give a little bit of encouragement, a little bit of feedback that can help us to know when we're doing the right thing, we'll do it more, and it's uh, rewarding for, for everyone, for both of us in the marriage. Well, in this passage in Ephesians chapter 5, in verse 31, it talks about the two becoming one flesh, and the, the real miracle is that we are joined together uh, in one. Now, becoming one is not something, uh, there's a mystical aspect to it that happens in marriage, but there's also something that happens over a period of time where our hearts are joined together and we really learn to work together as a team. That happens partly through spending time together. William Coleman said, Couples who do not expect to work at their relationship often have the roughest ride on the back roads of matrimony. It's going to take time in order to develop a really meaningful, uh, secure, workable marriage relationship. Secondly, it takes talk. It takes uh, discussion and, and to talk to each other. Nathaniel Braden says that couples who remain happily in love behave differently from those who don't. And in a study he did, he said they frequently say, I love you. They verbalize their appreciation and admiration. And they share their thoughts and feelings with each other and confide in one another. And they spend time alone together. Um, marriage is going to take time. It's going to take effort. It doesn't happen by accident. I believe that in our uh, conservative Mennonite circles, we have uh, a tremendous... Uh, blessing in that we have a high commitment to marriage and we see marriage as a lifelong commitment. Unfortunately, I think that while divorce is not common in our circles, what we have all too often is couples who have reached a certain level of workability in their marriage and they sort of plateau and rather than really having a marriage of excellence, they just kind of go through life at best tolerating each other and they kind of learn to live with each other but there's really not much fire there. There's really not much passion there. There's really not much happening uh, at a spiritual or an emotional level. They're just kind of going through life together. And you know, you can live in the same house and you can, you can uh, spend years together and never really make the emotional connections that really make life fulfilling and rewarding. And I just encourage you not to do that. Don't settle for a marriage that's just kind of good enough to get by, that kind of functions and works, but really pursue excellence in your marriage because marriage is one of those things that there's always more. You never get finished exploring what the potential of marriage is. And so don't be content with a marriage that's mediocre or that's good, but pursue a marriage of excellence and do that by spending time together and doing the things uh, that you did when you were courting and you were uh, really pursuing this relationship with uh, the other person. And, and don't let that fade in the years of marriage into just kind of um, being used to each other and, and where you just go through a routine year after year and, and, um, and nothing exciting ever really happens in, in, in your marriage. And know how to relate well to, to one another. In some ways, a good marriage can be compared to um, a canoe ride. In a canoe, you have a person in the back who's doing the steering, and the person in the front is, is paddling, and you have to work together to really um, make it work well, and especially if you're doing river canoeing and you're going down a river, and you know the person in the front of the canoe 
is not steering, but they are there and you're going down a river, that person can be watching for rocks. And now if the person in the front is watching for rocks and they see a rock coming up and they say there's a rock dead ahead and the person and they're kind of tell the person in the back, you know, steer, like do something, uh, get around that rock and, and, and without telling them whether to go right or left or whatever, it, you can have a lot of antagonism going on in a canoe over the person who's steering, the person who's in the front who sees what's coming. And the same is true in a marriage. You, you can kind of be at each other about what the other person ought to be doing to make this work. Or if you work together as a team, you can successfully negotiate your way down a river without hitting anything. And the same is true in a marriage. If we are seeing things that are coming up, and, and it's going to work better if we work together to avoid the crises in life rather than blaming each other for the things that are, are going wrong. Also in marriage, we recognize that we are inseparably joined together. Um, the scripture says, what God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Our vows in marriage are for a lifetime. In our society, this is kind of seen as a nostalgic, romantic ideal, but we actually take that as the, the, the way it is, and that we have, that's practical, and that we are committed for life to one person throughout life. And for those of you who are not yet married, it makes marriage one of the three biggest decisions you will ever make in your life. One is your decision about your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and where you are going to connect to the body of Christ. Your second, the second, another big decision is your career and what, how you're going to invest your life uh, and the years that you have, what you're going to trade your, your time for throughout the decades of your life. But the third and one of the most significant decisions you'll make in life is who your marriage partner is. That person has more influence over your life than anybody uh, other probably than your parents and, and maybe over time I'm not even sure how that comes out but your marriage partner is tremendously significant in your life and because it's not so, with your career you can kind of try something in it and a decade or two later you can say well that didn't really work out the way I thought and do something else but you can't do that with marriage um, it's it's for life and so choose well and take your time in choosing a life partner and Prepare yourself that you are ready to be the life partner that, um, that your marriage partner needs. Uh, don't rush into, um, into marriage. You're committing yourself to each other for life uh, in the presence of God when you marry, and, and your friends are your witnesses, and your church stands with you. And together, you move into a life uh, together. I'd just like to share with you some things that um, uh, my wife and I talked about um, recently just some of the things that we learned in 40 years of, of marriage and here's just a list of things that, that we're learning about uh, marriage and about uh, we've learned through our marriage and the first one that I have is um, I'm not right n nearly as much of the time as I think I am um, and it's amazing that I can sometimes I can be really convinced that I'm right and my wife is convinced I'm not and more often than not she's the one who's right <laughs> And uh, I find out that even though I may be absolutely sure that this time I'm right, I have to keep my mind open to the possibility that I may be wrong and she might be right. And to be able to not insist that I have to be right 
and it's okay for me to be wrong. And there are times when she is right. And I already talked to you about my second one. I don't have to be the best in, at something to give leadership. Uh, I'm just responsible to take the initiative. My third uh, thing that I feel like I'm learning in marriage is that uh, a woman's body isn't really what makes her beautiful. That there, a woman's beauty is an inner beauty. It's something that comes from uh, her soul and her spirit. We as men um, can be attracted to physical beauty, but physical beauty is fading. It's not enduring. But you probably all know older women that by the world's standards, they wouldn't, they wouldn't be a model, um, but they wouldn't, get in, they wouldn't get a job as a, as a model um, in New York City or Los Angeles. But there's something beautiful about them. There's something that just radiates from them that is just, it, it, you just enjoy being in their presence. And to recognize that a woman's body isn't really what makes her, her beautiful. And if we as men are going to be shallow enough to just look at outward uh, physical characteristics of a woman, um, that's really not gonna. That's really not gonna last. That's really not gonna be enduring. When we lived in Haiti, a uh, couple of, well, back in 1989, 1990, we were doing some work on the. We were cleaning the church there one day, and and um, and up in the uh, the rafters there was a, a hornet's nest uh, up in up in the rafters. And one of the men that was um, really, he was a really athletic guy, he kind of climbed up there in the rafters. We didn't have ladders that reached that high and stuff, but he kind of climbed up there and he took a cloth and wrapped it around that hornet's nest and broke it off and he tied it shut. And then he took it out and he put it along the road. And it was market day, so people were going back and forth to market and asked him, what are you, what are you doing with that? And he said, well... I'm going to put it out there. And he said, some lady is going to be coming back from market and she's going to see this little cloth package by the road and she's going to think that somebody dropped their money and she's going to pick it up and she's going to take it home and when she gets to her house, she's going to open it up and the hornets are going to come out and sting her and it'll teach her not to steal. And so I said, well, that's an interesting theory and let's see what happens. So we stood there and watched and sure enough, after all, this lady came along with her donkey, and she had her saddlebags on there, and she sees this uh, little bundle lying in the, in the weeds by the road. And so she goes over there, and she picks it up, and she kind of looks all around, and she stuck it in her saddlebag and took off and went home. So I, I don't know what happened when she got home and opened it up. We couldn't see that end of the thing, but I kind of think he was right. I kind of think it was, uh, was successful. We as men have to remember that sometimes we're walking down the street, and we see a package that we think, that looks really good. And we start thinking, I wouldn't mind taking that home and unwrapping it. But we have to remember, sometimes if we would do that, it'd be one of the most painful experiences we ever had. And uh, not everything that looks good on the street contains something good inside. And some of the things that might not look so good contain something very, very valuable inside. And I just encourage you as men to not judge women by their physical appearance and not to encourage women. To, you know, sometimes our focus on physical appearance encourages women to focus on physical appearance rather than the inner beauty that comes from the Spirit of God. And if we as men will value inner beauty that comes from the Spirit of God, we can encourage women to be women of character and women of spiritual integrity who really are beautiful inside and that really carry with them something that is valuable and beautiful. So let's encourage that. Fourthly, I have the way that I experience something or feel about it 
isn't always the way my wife feels about it or experiences it. Sometimes we're, we're in the same thing, but my wife experiences it in a whole different way than, than I do. And I, I'm, I'm not always aware of exactly how she is uh, experiencing what's going on. And I need to ask uh, how, that, how she's doing and what's happening in her life and are we doing okay? And am I doing okay? And, and to just be able to dialogue about those things because the way I experience it or feel about it, maybe it may be completely different uh, for her. Fifthly, repentance is powerful and it's necessary. As we talked about last night, the closer the relationship, the more need there is for, for forgiveness and the more opportunities there are for repentance and forgiveness. And in my marriage relationship, there I've done, I've done some stupid things and there are times when I just need to repent and I need to ask my wife's forgiveness for what I have done. And there are times when maybe it's even a number of years after what happened, I realize how, how wrong that was. And I need to go back and repent of those things and ask for my wife's forgiveness for things that I've done and ways that I have influenced or impacted her life. Because you see, when we're humble enough to admit we're wrong, that, uh, and, and it really brings repentance. I'm not talking about just saying, I'm sorry, I wish I hadn't done that. You see, repentance, when regret and sorrow leads us to repentance, repentance brings a change of behavior. So when I regret something enough that I'm going to change my behavior, that's repentance. And so what I'm saying here that repentance is powerful and necessary. It's when I get to the point that I realize that's wrong and I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to change. That really, that's powerful and it's necessary in, um, in marriage. And I just don't want uh, my wife to feel that I don't respect her voice and that I don't hear what's important to her and that I don't care about how life is for her. I, I, I just don't want to do that. My, one of the things, this is a little thing, but... Uh, we lived in a house uh, for probably about uh, 12 years. Uh, you came in the front door, and then there was a closet right by the front door, and there was a stairway that went upstairs, and then there was a hallway that came into the living room, and that hallway had vinyl on it. And uh, where we live, of course, there's a lot of snow and that, and you come into the house, and, and so the children would come in, and, and I'd come home later and that, and, and so there was water on that vinyl and, and the idea was, my wife's idea was when we come in the door, we take off our shoes or our boots, we put them in that closet and then we go, well, I didn't like to do that because then I get wet feet walking on that vinyl into the living room. And so I wanted to wear my boots or my shoes into the living room and set them on the floor in the living room. And to me, it was kind of like, I don't know what's up with her. Like, you know, the closet's there, but the living room's there too. And I put my boots there. It doesn't make any difference. It's, I still take them off. And so that's eight feet of hallway doesn't really matter. And so I would set my boots in the living room and she'd say, don't no, put your boots there. Why don't you put them in the closet? I don't want to put them in the closet. And we kind of, that went on for a few years. And then we were shampooing the carpet one day in the living room. And my wife said, okay, look at all the sand that's coming out of this carpet where you put your boots. And I realized, hey, there's a point there. Uh, there's a reason why I should put my boots in the closet. And if that's irritating to her, if that, I don't really want to do that. And so, I, all right, I get it. I'll put my boots in the closet. And I started putting my boots in the closet. It wasn't that big of a deal. But neither was it that hard for me to put my boots in the closet. I have a friend who um, was uh, uh, divorced and remarried. 
And he told me one time, he said, you know, Mara, I got married to my first wife and, and she started complaining about things and she started saying, you know, like, Roy, like, pick up your socks, you know, and there's a hamper here, you can put your clothing in there. And he said, she was on my case about all this little stuff. And, and he said, I kind of thought, how did I wind up with a wife like this? Like, she's always complaining about stuff, and she's always on my case, and I don't know, this, is, this isn't working. And he said, things got worse and worse, and he said, eventually we divorced. And he said, I thought, wow, good, I'm out of that relationship. I don't know, what well, that, was, that was really bad. And he said, then I got remarried, and he said, I wasn't remarried very many months until my second wife started saying, like, could you pick up your socks? And, you know, maybe, and he said, her things were the same as the things my first wife was saying. And he said, I started saying, wait a minute here, maybe it's not her, maybe it's me. And he said, I also realized that, well, you know, you can kind of get by with failing in one marriage, and people say, well, yeah, marriages don't always work out, but if you fail in the second marriage, people are going to start saying, there's something wrong with that guy, he can't make marriage work at all. So he said, I realized, i got to make this one work. So he said, I really dug in, I started listening to her and doing the stuff she wanted me to do. And he said, really looking back on it, he said, I think if I would have taken that attitude with my first wife, we'd still be married. He said, I don't think there's anything wrong with her at all. And the truth is, when we get into difficulties in marriage, changing our marriage partner isn't very likely to fix the problem. But we can deal with the issues that we're facing, and repentance is necessary in marriage. Also, uh, I recognize uh, my number six here is that sometimes a marriage is carried along by intense feelings of love, and sometimes it's carried along by deep commitment. Uh, we don't always feel ecstatic about being married. Sometimes we do, and sometimes it's really exciting and it's really good. Other times, it's our commitment that carries us through. And we know I committed that I will be faithful to this person, and I'm going to do it. I will carry out my, uh, I will fulfill my commitment to this person. And then, lastly, uh, doing marriage well is one of the most important things in life. I, I, I just, for myself, I would rather fail at a lot of other things than fail in marriage. I just, think it's, I just think it's tremendously important that we do marriage well. One of the reasons why I think that's true is because it represents Christ's relationship with the church. You see, our marriages are bigger than just whether we have a good marriage and whether we get along well and whether we relate well to each other. But our marriage is that portrait of the relationship between Christ and the church. And it's very important that, that we do it well and that we get it right and that we work hard at having a marriage that honors God and that really pleases uh, Him. I'm sure you all know people who are in, have been in long-term marriages and who have done them well, and you realize how marriage changes over the decades and how it can deepen and how older couples can just have that uh, grace about them and the, the uh, connectedness together that is, is so amazing, that only comes with deep commitment over a long period of time. I was telling the men Friday night about a couple that uh, Edith and I knew in Dryden that uh, always amazed me. The uh, man was, um, was uh, Alvin was dating uh, a young lady and she, they were engaged to be married and, and she was killed in a car accident. Her mother, Peggy, was a widow and going through the grief of Alvin's fiance and Peggy's daughter's death, uh, they connected uh, emotionally and they started dating and they got married and so Peggy was 35 years older than Alvin and, and they, um, they were just a great couple. She was vivacious and talkative and all those things and, and uh, just um, uh, they were a wonderful couple and they were married for I don't know how many years but eventually 
he was 50 and she was 85 and she had a stroke and was in the, the senior's home and and um, we'd go he, he would go every day and be with her every day in the senior's home and, and one day we were there Christmas caroling and I saw a sign on Peggy's closet door that said Alvin does Peggy's laundry and I, you know what he wouldn't have to do that like the staff in the nursing home would do that but Alvin he wanted to care for Peggy and there was something happening in their marriage that had it wasn't sensuality it wasn't any of that it was there was a deep connection between them as a couple and I'm sure you know couples like that that you look at and I just encourage you to strive for a marriage relationship that is deep that's meaningful where you're engaging at, at a real heart level and where you're doing marriage well it is it's worthwhile it's worth the effort and it's it does matter that we um, that we work hard to do marriage well well, let's have a song, and uh, maybe I think you're going to stand during this song, and uh, we'll carry on after that. <laughs>